The Blood Flow Restriction Podcast is brought to you by Saga, a world leader in innovative BFR technology. For more information on our Bluetooth-enabled auto-calibrating BFR cuffs, head over to our website at saga.fitness. And if you'd like to pick up a set for yourself, you can save 20% with the discount code BFRPODCAST. With that said, let's jump right into the topic of today, which is part three of our BFR and cognition series. Of all topics, who would have thought that cognition would warrant a three-part series on the Blood Flow Restriction Podcast, but here we are. If you missed parts one and two, I recommend you go back and listen. So part one introduces general exercise and cognition and where we stand with the current literature. It also highlights how BFR sort of sets the stage for how BFR could fit into this equation. It's helpful because it lays the groundwork for some of the general terms that we gloss over in this episode. For instance, cognition, as I mentioned before, is an umbrella concept and there are different domains. Different forms of exercise have differing impacts on those domains from our understanding. And part two, we reviewed two studies that directly investigated the acute impacts of BFR on cognition. So one was more aerobic based and the other was a resistance training study. So if you want to hear what the interesting findings were, I suggest giving part two a listen. But on to the topic of today's episode, which is the potential mechanisms of action. So the last episode, we discussed what exercise under BFR can potentially do to acutely enhance cognition. But this episode is going to go into the how. As a reminder, this series, we've been working our way through a 2021 hypothesis paper called Acute Exercise and Cognition, a review with testable questions for future research into cognitive enhancement with blood flow restriction, if you want to follow along. And in that paper, the authors lay out several mechanisms by which training under BFR could lead to improved cognition, and we're going to go through four of them in this episode. It's important to note, though, that this is a hypothesis paper. BFR training, to some degree, is still in its infancy. We know a lot about its safety. We're pretty comfortable there. We know quite a bit about its role in rehabilitation and muscle growth. Pretty comfortable there. But we don't know a ton about its direct impact on cognition. That's why this is a hypothesis paper. But that said, we have a decent understanding on some of the mechanisms involved in how exercise in general can enhance cognition. And from that, we can start to extrapolate what we know about BFR training to hopefully steer us in the right direction or give us some sort of guidance here. So mechanism number one is lactate-induced neuronal energy production. BFR has been shown to result in large increases in blood lactate concentration when combined with both aerobic and resistance exercise. This is fairly obvious, right? Without diving too deep into anaerobic metabolism, lactate sort of initiates from a high oxygen demand in the muscle. And we know BFR reduces arterial flow or oxygen flow, blood and oxygen flow to the limbs. So we've seen in the literature lactate increases of three to six fold and more when comparing BFR versus non-BFR training at the same intensity level. Dr. George Brooks, who I've referenced before, describes lactate as a preferred energy source for the brain. To prevent the body from becoming too acidic, the body's pretty efficient and will move lactate from areas of high concentration to areas of low concentration, so areas that can use it. And one of those areas is the brain. So it can be transported from the working muscle to the brain to be used as fuel. We've seen in previous studies that change in arterial lactate concentration is really highly correlated with change in brain uptake of lactate. Interestingly, that same study showed that the change in brain uptake of lactate was also associated with a change in inhibitory control, a favorable change in inhibitory control. That's a, a, a concept that we went through in a previous episode of this series. 
So that's mechanism number one, lactate-induced neuronal energy production in a nutshell. And lactate's going to be involved in several of these mechanisms. Hopefully, as this episode goes on, there's a bit of a deeper understanding or we're able to develop a bit of a deeper understanding of its role in enhanced cognition. And on that front, mechanism number two is lactate-induced BDNF. Many of us are at least broadly familiar with the term brain-derived neurotrophic factor, BDNF. Uh, and we think, okay, I'm pretty sure exercise increases BDNF. But to go a bit deeper on BDNF, it is a primary mediator of synaptic plasticity. Another term that's very popular in today's landscape is neuroplasticity. Synaptic plasticity is a subset of that uh, broader umbrella term. So neuroplasticity explained simply is the brain's ability to change and adapt in response to experience, learning, and other factors. It's believed, of course, that this plasticity significantly decreases as we age. We know kids have extremely plastic, quote-unquote, brains, and maintaining this plasticity can help us learn more, acquire new skills, etc., which is, of course, why it's such an important conversation, and it's something of interest to the broader health and longevity landscape. And like I mentioned, synaptic plasticity is a kind of a subset of neuroplasticity, and it refers more to the ability uh, of synapses between neurons in the brain to change in strength and effectiveness over time. It's closely related to cortical volume, or the amount of gray matter in the brain. Reduction in gray matter is pretty tightly associated with several neurodegenerative diseases like Alzheimer's and Parkinson's. So as we age, we tend to see a reduction in gray matter particularly when neurodegenerative diseases come into play. Cortical volume, or uh, gray matter, is also closely related to things like consolidation of memory. In summary, it's pretty important for memory and learning. And as I mentioned just a bit ago, there's a good body of direct literature showing that blood flow restriction with both aerobic and resistance exercise increases lactate over that of the same exercise without blood flow restriction. This increase in lactate could lead to increased BDNF expression in the brain, increasing neuronal activities in certain brain regions, and thus enhancing cognitive functions corresponding to those brain regions. Very interesting for mechanism number two there. And as we can see, again, lactate seems to play a central role in all of this. And more on that shortly, but on to mechanism number three, which is PGC1-alpha-induced BDNF. Back to BDNF. PGC1-alpha helps mediate increases in BDNF within the hippocampus. We just hit on BDNF, of course, but the PGC1-alpha mediated increases in BDNF in the hippocampus could potentially improve long-term memory function. And though I've mentioned on this series that there's only two studies that I'm aware of that have directly investigated BFR's impact on cognition, there are several studies now, at least three that I'm aware of, that have looked into PGC1-alpha expression following aerobic and resistance exercise in combination with BFR and comparing it to that of the same exercise without blood flow restriction. And in those three studies, we've seen that the BFR... Brief pause. If you're enjoying the BFR podcast and want to learn more about BFR training, we've put together a free BFR ebook for you. The comprehensive guide to BFR training covers everything from basics of BFR physiology to benefits, protocols, research reviews, and more. You can find a link to download it in the show notes or directly on our site at saga.fitness. All right, let's get back to the show. Application has been shown to augment PGC1-alpha expression in skeletal muscle. The authors do note that we need more research to determine PGC1-alpha-mediated increases in BDNF 
and how it could potentially impact other brain regions beyond the hippocampus. At the least, this is another pretty interesting mechanism that warrants some further research. All right, on to mechanism number four, which is norepinephrine-mediated neurophysiological activity. That is a mouthful. And you'll hear the term norepinephrine and noradrenaline. Those can be used interchangeably. They're both catecholamines or neurotransmitters that play a role in our sympathetic or fight-or-flight response. Based on our current understanding, norepinephrine at low to moderate doses probably affects prefrontal cortex function, which is very important in executive functioning. We've seen this in animal models at the least. There's a study which we'll link below uh, in the show notes called Developing the Catecholamines Hypothesis for the Acute Exercise Cognition Interaction in Humans, Lessons from Animal Studies. I wonder if I should even list out the names of these studies. They're so long. I don't know how you would track with it, but I'm doing my best here. But this is where it starts to get very interesting. Norepinephrine at low to moderate doses stimulates alpha-2 adrenoreceptors. Don't get too hung up on all this terminology. I know it's a ton of words for a podcast, but it stimulates alpha-2 adrenoreceptors on the prefrontal cortex and other regions, which this is getting wordy, but it inhibits calcium cyclic AMP signaling, a regulatory system of BDNF. And this results in a strengthening of the synaptic inputs, which seems to support the idea that low to moderate doses of norepinephrine can have favorable acute impacts on executive functioning. And by low to moderate, I mean the amount typically seen from low to moderate intensity exercise. So, you know, high intensity interval training or resistance training would technically be out of the question here. Kind of. It's not that clear. We'll get to that shortly. But that's alpha-2 adrenal receptors. They get stimulated at low to moderate intensity exercise. Again, a lot of words for a podcast, but if you remember anything, just remember the term alpha-2, and alpha-2 tends to get stimulated at low to moderate intensity exercise. But at a certain point, as the exercise intensity climbs, the high concentration of norepinephrine, because remember this is a response to a kind of fight-or-flight response to training, at a certain point, the, the norepinephrine builds up enough to stimulate alpha-1, so we were just talking about alpha-2, now it's, it's building up high enough to stimulate alpha-1 and beta adrenal receptors in the brain. We've seen in a previous animal study, it showed that alpha-1 adrenal receptors could positively affect the sensory motor cortex function, more related to simple tasks. So before where it seemed the alpha-2 adrenal receptors had a favorable impact on prefrontal cortex, it's more executive function, this now alpha-1 seems to have more of an impact, adrenal receptors seem to have more of an impact on the sensory motor cortex, so simple tasks. Alpha-1 and beta adrenal receptors also look to play a role in enhancing late long-term potentiation. This could provide one potential reason why high-intensity exercise shows more favorable increases in episodic memory. We'll link a study on this below called Experimental Effects of Acute Exercise on Episodic Memory Function, Considerations for the Timing of Exercise. But as we discussed in earlier parts of the series, higher-intensity exercise may cost some performance and executive functioning, but that's transient. It's probably transient because there's just a bit of a recovery period after you've trained to a really high level of perceived effort. So theoretically, with, with all this considered, here's where we land. Low to moderate intensity exercise stimulates alpha-2 adrenal receptors, which could potentially improve executive functioning. This is because the alpha-2 seem to have an impact on a favorable impact on prefrontal cortex. As you up the intensity of exercise, the alpha-1 and beta adrenal receptors are stimulated, which could improve simple task performance because the alpha-1 and beta adrenal receptors have, they directly impact 
the sensory motor cortex. And this higher intensity level training could probably favorably impact attention, perception, and memory where it might might acutely cost executive function performance. But again, it's probably just the recovery period post high intensity exercise. So to, to wrap this up a bit, we've run through four potential mechanisms as to how BFR training could favorably impact cognition. We know lactate plays a central theme in several of them. So just to review really quickly, we've got number one, lactate induced neuronal energy production. Lactate, as George Brooks described it, is a preferred energy source for the brain. It appears that arterial concentrations of lactate, which is going to build up from exercise, especially under BFR, are tightly correlated with brain lactate uptake. And again, we've seen uh, that same study that demonstrated that showed an increase in inhibitory control, presumably from the increased brain uptake of lactate. Then we have lactate-induced BDNF, brain-derived neurotrophic factor, as our second mechanism. We know BDNF is a primary mediator of synaptic plasticity, the subset of neuroplasticity as we went through. And, and we know that BFR can significantly increase lactate concentrations, thus increasing BDNF and potentially enhancing cognition. On to number three, PGC1-alpha-induced BDNF. So BFR has been shown to augment PGC1-alpha expression in skeletal muscle over that of the same exercise without blood flow restriction. And we know that this seems to have an impact on the hippocampus and could have an impact on long-term memory. And then lastly, we have norepinephrine mediated neurophysiological activity, which we just discussed. It has interesting implications based on the intensity of your exercise. So with low to moderate, potentially acutely enhancing executive function and high intensity, potentially transiently costing you a bit of executive function, but assisting in attention, perception, and memory. All in, this hypothesis paper was very interesting. And I think the authors did a great job not only discussing the proposed mechanisms of BFR's impact on cognition, but also outlining paths for future research in this area. This has been quite a bit of information, and we're gonna have one more part, part four, which is just gonna go through direct application. So this will be taking the information that we currently have on exercise and cognition, and more specifically BFR and cognition, and seeing if we can logically deduce actionable steps that are worth trying to acutely improve cognition. Again, this area of research is still in its infancy. We don't know enough yet to say, look, we've got 30 randomized control trials all pointing towards this specific intervention or protocol. So any protocols that I discuss in part four uh, and guidance will be based on our current limited understanding. But that said, I think there's reasonable logical underpinning to what we'll discuss. So we are excited to release that episode for you. But that's all for now, and we will see you in part four very soon.